right. Well, we are so pleased that our pastor is back in the house and ready to preach again. Are you ready for that? And uh, so before he does that, settle back for this song, Psalms. Listen, baby, ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough, baby. If you need me, call me, no matter where you are, no matter how far. Don't worry, baby. Just call my name, I'll be there in a hurry. You don't have to worry, cause baby, there ain't no team can we can just throw a song at them and they are just able to make it happen but and I didn't watch in the first service what happened but this service I might have been watching um, on the keyboards I won't say who it was but I might have been watching her and she was grinning like a Cheshire cat um, she put this team together and this song together and and our worship team just continues to serve and serve and give to God and give to God and, and pretty much knock it out of the park. Now, if this is your first time in here and you're like, why am I here with Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell up there doing it? It's like, that's not a worship song, is it? It's like, it can be. It can be. At the vineyard, it can be. Okay? If you just let me make the connection for you. Because the whole point of this sermon series that we do for the majority of the summer is we want to take a song that you know fairly well. And thank goodness this was, it was my week again because we're back to one I know very well. Um, and it didn't have to be explained to me, mansplained to me by the staff here at the church. Um, so um, we want to connect that song to a psalm. So that the next time you're driving down the road and you, you know, got the classic oldies on or something and you hear that song, you're like, remember that was the one where he preached about and it clicks. 
It's surprising how many people come back a year or two later and say, I heard that song and I remembered all the points of your message. It was, it was kind of crazy. And you, know, you don't know if they liked it or didn't like it, but it was what it was. And so it's there. So I want to connect that psalm to a song for you. Now, I've been gone for the last five weeks from up here, but I've still been in the church, still been in my office, still been meeting with people. But the point was, I just needed to spend some time. I've had a stack of books that's smaller. It's not gone, but it's still smaller um, than when I started. I just need to focus on immersing myself in the presence of God and learning so that I have something to pour back out when I'm here. And then I just took a little bit of time to just be with God. And then on the front end, I took a little bit of time to just drive. Have you been there? You're just like, I'm so sick and tired. And I know we say this. I know we say this. I'm so sick and tired of politics. I'm so sick and tired of what's going on. I'm so sick and tired of people fighting. I'm so sick and tired of dumb memes that that, that, taken way out of context. And and I told my wife, I said, I'm just going to plan some time. I want to get in my car, uh, my fun car, and I just want to drive. That's all I want to do. I just want to drive because I love to drive. And when I'm driving, I hear from God. When I'm driving, I talk to God. I know how to use the microphone to make myself notes so that I can come back to them later. Every time I stopped for the day uh, or the night, I would find a hotel. I would check in and I would sit down and I would just be with God. And it's just like, God, I, I need to hear from you. Sometimes we get so dry inside our souls that, that we're just like, God, where are you? Where are you? And believe it or not, even in light of that and and my fun trip that I did get to take, I've been planning this particular song today, on this particular day, months ago. Um, We had to hand out the songs and the assignments and the psalms and how you're going to connect them a little bit. And so I want to do that with you. I want to invite you to take your Bible out, whether it's in your app, your iPad, or whatever it is. I use this thing right here. Um, This is an old school Bible app. Um, that called Bible. Um, and so I'm going to take you to Psalm 139. Now I know if you're familiar with this church, you're like, oh, no, every day ordained for me. Really? No, no, no that's not the part I'm going to use. But Psalm 139 is an important psalm to my life, just simply because I don't know how you are, but when things get rough, when things get tiring, when things are starting to wear on you, and, and when things just get bad and you don't have anybody to scream to, I go to Psalm 139. I do. I mean, my life psalm is Psalm 40. Um, I cried out to the, I waited patiently for the Lord. I cried out to him. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the mud and the mire, out of the slimy pit, set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to uh, stand, put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to my God that many would see and fear and, and uh, trust in him. And so that's, that's my psalm. Um, that's my like, Lord, I was a filthy, awful sinner. You saved me. And when I was just going to work and, and water ski and stuff, then you gave me a calling in my life. And now you want me to go out and share the song of the gospel of Jesus Christ um, with people. And so that's that. But Psalm 139 is one of those psalms where when when somebody needs to go back and just sit down, you you just don't think God sees you. You don't think God's aware of what you're going through. You think it's all a big struggle and you wonder, is the struggle worth it? Come on, we're all there. I'm a pastor and I'm just gonna tell you right now, I do, I do, okay? Um, I, I'm there. And I'm just like, God, is, is, is it worth it? Are we doing it right? Are we making it happen the way you dreamed of it happening? Um, I know you saw this, but is it what you wanted? I go to Psalm 139. That's where I go. And I just remind myself. It's, it, Psalm 139 is one of those amazing reminders. So I want you to go down to verse 7 for today. Okay? 
And you're going to see this psalm as a conviction or you're going to see it as an encouragement, but it's all going to depend on what you're going through because the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces the dividing joint and marrow, soul, and spirit. Okay? The psalm that you read today, you could read a year from now and look at the notes in your Bible, and you're going to say, how did I get that out of that? It's because you're going through something, and the Holy Spirit makes it real to you. But look at what it says beginning at verse 7 in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, or if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Not even there you see me. Even there on the far side of the sea, your hand will continue to guide me. Okay? It says, uh, um, your right hand will hold me fast. Okay? If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And that's the part of this that I want to um, connect to that song by Marvin Gaye, that, 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 that you know by Marvin Gaye. That, that, that's the song that I want to connect there. Now, if I unfold this psalm just real quick, top to bottom, just an outline line that I sat down with. I sat down with that psalm and I said, okay, if I had to break this up like I was doing in Bible college and make a study out of it, an inductive Bible study, how would I break it up? This is how I would break it up. Verses one through six are David, King David saying, God, you know everything. Even the secret things, you know God. And then the verses we just read, there's no place to go that you aren't there, and there's no place that I can hide from you. How are you going to see that today? Are you going to see it as, there's no place I can hide from you, God, or are you going to see it as, God, you have to know that I'm here because there's no place on earth that you can't see me. And then if we go from 13 to 16, we're looking at you saw me before I was born and you planned for me. Now let me just say this real quick. Because God knows our beginning and our end, he knows the beginning of the earth and the end of the earth. Listen to me. You can say, God knew me when I was knit together in my mother's womb. You can say that. It does not matter if you were born out of wedlock. It does not matter if you were conceived in the back seat of a car. It does not matter if you were planned for as a child. It does not matter if you are a miraculous planned uh, event by God himself. What matters is regardless of how you came about, you know God knew you before you took your first breath. That's what Psalm 139 says. Okay? And then it goes on in uh, 17 and 18. And it's like, your thoughts are too great for me, God. I can't conceive these things. And we know the scripture says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And David is saying that again. And then verses 19 through 22, he's saying, God, please destroy all the evil people attacking me. Have you been there? Man, if I do it right, I'm going to get attacked. If I do it wrong, I'm going to get attacked. Doesn't matter what I do, I'm going to get attacked. I'm going to get attacked. And then sometimes you throw up your hands and you say, I quit. I'm going to go get a different job. It, it happens, right? It happens to all of us. But then he ends the whole thing in verses 23 and 24, and he says, God, search me and purify my heart and my intentions. 
purify my heart and my intentions. I'll be honest with you. I, to, I, I hopped into my fun car um, on a Wednesday morning, and, and I gassed it up at Bucky's because we have to go to Bucky's now. We have a Bucky's. We have to go. We'll burn in hell if we don't go to Bucky's. I don't know, but we have to go to Bucky's. Uh, and you can go on Wednesday because nobody's there from Ohio, okay? Um, and if you're from Ohio, I'm sorry, but you know, you're choking up the Bucky's, and it's our Bucky's, okay? Um, so I went to the Bucky's, and I filled up, and I just, I just headed west. And I went to Tupelo, Mississippi, and I went down to Heflin, Missouri, and I went down to New Orleans, and I went over to Pensacola, and then I went to Destin, and I, my wife flew in um, to Destin, and we stayed a couple of days, and we went up to Savannah. And here's the deal. The whole time, I just was praying, God, I just want you to do something. I want you to overwhelm me so much. I want it to be so, I, God, I want to know it's you. God, you want me to lead this church. You want us to make a difference in Richmond, and I got you got you to gotta pour into me, God. You got to do this incredible thing. You got to do that. And I'm driving along, and I'm having a good time. And, and then I remembered while I was driving, I was like, okay, but didn't you pray right before you started? God, let this trip be super uneventful. Um, no flat tires. I don't want the motor to blow up. Don't let the transmission fall out. Don't let anybody crash. Don't let deer walk out in front of me. Those are your deer, Lord. I don't want them to walk out in front of me. And it's like, okay, so I'm trying to balance. I want an uneventful trip with, God, I want you to do something overwhelming. But the long and the short of it is, um, that I did have a wonderful time and that stopping and writing down what the Lord was saying to me as I was going and then to walk back into um, um, the church and, and sit down with somebody that wanted to talk and, and they said, hey, um, you know, I was praying for you while you were gone. I knew you were on this sabbatical sort of a thing. He said, I just got this word and it was the exact same thing the, word, the Lord said to me while I was driving. And, and, and it was a wonderful, a wonderful experience. And so there was no place. There was not Tupelo, Mississippi. Or Mississippi. There was not um, Heflin, Louisiana. There was not Lawrence. There was not Pascagoula, Mississippi. I know where Pascagoula, Mississippi is. I know where that squirrel revival took place. I didn't find the church. I looked. I, I drove around Pascagoula. Okay. I thought there would be a monument to the squirrel. And I thought, Lord, we need a squirrel. Um, and I was watching it while I was sitting in the diner when I intentionally went to Bascagoula, Mississippi because of Ray Stevens. But that's a whole other message. Here we go. At the end of the day, the Lord says, there's more work to be done in Richmond. It's not done. And therefore, we have to step up. We've got to keep the course. We've got to persevere. All the things that I feel like I've, I've been saying for a while, there it is. But I got to thinking as I was driving around, where do you go from God? Where do you go? What's the altitude that you can go to? How high can you go and still be on the planet? You know, in, in the continental United States, the tallest mountain is, is uh, Mount Denali. That's what I've been made to understand. 20,310 feet it's in the McKinley Range up in Alaska. It's the highest, it's referred to as the highest USA peak. Pikes Peak, is only 14,000 feet. Mount Denali is 20,300 feet. So if you've been to Pikes Peak, you're like, whoa, we got half of, you know, got to keep going. Mount Everest on the other side, as far as altitude goes, is 29,032 feet. Or if you read somebody else's, it's 29,035 feet. Okay, that extra three feet matters when you're above the death zone. Okay, I'm sure. I don't doubt that at all. But there it is, okay? And since uh, Sir Edmund Hillary climbed that sucker, only 5,000 people have made it to the actual summit uh, in, 19, in uh, 2019, by 2019. But check this out. This is the thing that I, was weird to me that I didn't know. You go up there, and, and if, I, if I remember my math correctly, it's 5.432 miles high. That's where the peak of Mount Everest is. 
at 29,032 feet. Some of you are already on your calendar, your smartphone, you're going, no, he's off by three feet. There it is, huh? Three feet. Above 26,000. But people die. In 2019, 11 people died in, in the process of scaling that peak. Here's the thing I didn't know. Of those 11 people that died, 10 of them died coming down. Only one of them died going up. And this is what they say about that. At 26,000 feet, you enter what is known as the death zone. So you've got another 3,000 feet to go. At 26,000 feet, you enter the death zone, where oxygen becomes you know, really sparse. Your body can't get enough of it. But other experienced climbers said that most, the most problems arrive when climbers don't leave themselves enough energy to come down the mountain. And we're looking at that. This is what it looks like up on Mount Everest. I mean, we're talking about, it looks like they only have one cashier on top of this mountain. You know what I'm saying? It's like Walmart on Saturday when they've got, you know, the things closed. And it's like, what on earth? I, I don't, I mean, you're up there where there's, there's little to no air and you're waiting in line in temperatures that will just absolutely kill you. And it's absolutely crazy. And so I'm reading this thing and I'm doing that stuff and I'm thinking, there it is. But you know what? Mount Everest is not the world's tallest mountain. Believe it or not. It is the mountain on the world that has the tallest peak. But it is not the world's tallest mountain. The world's tallest mountain is Mauna Kea. It's a volcano on Hawaii. And here's the crazy part. There are 13,796 feet of that volcano above sea level. But the actual literal base of that mountain is 19,700 feet below sea level. So from the literal base, it looks like this, from the literal base of the mountain, Mauna Kea, you see all of that is the actual base of the mountain. The actual base of Mount Everest is above sea level, the actual base. So Mauna Kea is the actual tallest mountain in the world. Yay, that's great. Marvin Gaye says that there's no place that he wouldn't go for somebody that he loves. And I'm telling you, there's no place, there's no height that you can reach that God would not reach into your life and touch you where you are. By uh, comparison, the Dead Sea is known as the lowest point on earth. Clearly, it is not the lowest place or the deepest place on earth. The deepest place on earth is in the, Amer uh, the Marianas Trench, and it's known as the deep place. That's what it's known as. It is literally, remember, Mount Everest, the peak of is 5.438 miles high. The deepest place that we're aware of right now is 6.825 miles deep. That's deep. That's deep. There are 16,000 PSI, pounds per square inch of pressure on your body at 16,000 feet deep. That is just absolutely crazy. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about what King David said in Psalm 139. Where can I go? The pressure of hiding from God will kill you. Doesn't it though? 
When we think God's mad at us and he's had it with us or we've sinned and we don't want to talk to God about it and it begins, we just kind of separate ourselves off from God and we begin to not deal with the thing that we need to deal with and then pretty soon it begins to eat at our heart and then it begins to eat at our soul and it begins to crush us. It begins to weigh on us. It begins to overwhelm us. It destroys relationships. And, and, and it, it can be any, it can be greed, it can be pornography, it can be um, a lie, a cheat, a broken relationship that's your fault. It can be all kinds of things when we sin against God and we think that we can hide in the deepest deep, hide in the deepest deep, then the crushing pressure of our sin. Or if we say we will go up and, and we will hide from God on the highest peak, we go up there and suddenly there's no air to breathe and it does the exact same thing to us. It begins to take our lives. And I think that's what David was talking about personally. He was talking about where can I go to hide from God? But I think in the midst of that, he was also saying, where can I go that God is not going to be with me? Therefore, I know he's here. See, there's two ways to look at that Psalms, depending on what it is that you happen to be going through. The writer of the book of Hebrews says in chapter 4, nothing in all of creation is hidden before God. Everything is laid bare and open before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Just like David and Bathsheba. When it was sin that was the struggle and David thought he had hit it, man, you know, what is it, a year later, Nathan comes knocking on the door and he says, hey, sheep, this thing, lambs, little things, hey, you're the sinner, God knows it, and that's why you're struggling to receive. God's love was still there for David, but he's struggling to receive it because David said, for a year my soul was dry and my bones wanted to just crumble inside of my being. Because God is not surprised. He, he's where we are. He sees it all. God is aware of where I am and what I'm going through, and I can trust him. That's the other side of this. Even if I've sinned, I can't disregard it nonchalantly but I can know that God has forgiven, uh, forgiven me. In the course of my trip, I was talking to God, and, and, and somewhere in my own life, I'm, I'm always thinking, when will I be spiritual enough to feel good about my relationship to God? When will I be religious enough to feel about, good about my relationship to God? And God's saying, never. Because I'm responsible for that. You, I made you good enough. I, my righteousness clearly is your righteousness. Your righteousness is filthy rags. So you're never going to be good enough, so I made you good enough. And it's like, oh, yeah, I needed to be reminded. Remember, that's why I go back to Psalm 139. I needed to be reminded of that again. And I need to stop holding my, my magnifying glass up to other people and saying, yeah, not, yes, no, yes, no. I need to stop doing that. I need to talk with them, interact with them, pray with them, but stop, um, well, for lack of a better term, judging them. So what did I come away with from Psalm 139 that I was thinking of before I ever took my trip? And this is, God is love. Well, Pastor Joe, we know God is love. Yeah, yeah, right. Do you? Do you know that God is love? Or do you think that God is lovely? Do you think that God is loving? Do you think, do you understand that God is love doesn't mean he has affection for you. It means he's working on your behalf. Because in our society today, love is an adjective. And we need to stop using it. At best, it's an adverb. It's a word that describes an action. And it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be a straight up verb. Want me to give you an example? For God so loved the world that he... See, he did something and Jesus showed us his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died 
on the cross for us. Took the beat. He did something. But we think love is this affection. And however many years into a relationship, we don't have the affection. So we let the relationship go and we look to start another one because we're addicted to the affection, not the truth of the word love, which is an intention and an action and a lot of other shuns. This is starting to really turn into an alliteration, wasn't it? See what I'm saying? We've got, I, I, it's in, you know what? And we may be even sitting in this room and everybody's going, yeah, we know, love is a verb. Love. Do you? Do you? Because what I want to know is when you go home, is love a verb or is love an adjective? When you're talking to your spouse, is love a verb or is love, I love you. Generally, that means I have affections for you. You know, if I say, I love you, to my wife, I kind of expect her to say, does that mean you're taking out the trash? Does that mean you're cleaning up after the dogs? Does that mean you're going to take, I love you so much, I'm going to take you to dinner? Okay, there you go. It's an action, okay, that reflects a position that I want to maintain. So I will take her to dinner. I will take the trash out. I will sweep the dog hair. I will do the things. Because Joe Wood loved Janice so much that he did housework. There, I said it. Did housework. Don't get proud of me. I don't do it often. Okay, I'm not going to lie to you. I struggle. Okay? But I did. And so we've got to get our idea that that's what love is. Look at what John says, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so he gave that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So he gave us his son, he gave us eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So God is not mad at the world. Oh, yeah, you want me to tell you who God's mad at? He's, he's mad at those other political positions. He's mad at that other moral position. He's mad at that other. Well, if he is, then he's still mad at my position and my political position and my moral position. Because I'm still struggling. And I will struggle till I get home. <laughs> I'm not saying there's not right and wrong. There is right and wrong. All I'm saying is God looked down from heaven and saw right and wrong and said, I love that wronger. <laughs> and I'm going to go down, because we don't want to call ourselves sinners, right? We're wrongers. Yeah. At one time in my life, I was a wronger, and then Jesus saved my soul. Yeah. No, I was a filthy, rotten sinner. Burn, I mean, going to burn in hell. I was. And Jesus saved me. But he loves all of us. And so when he looks down, the goal is he wants the sinners saved. He wants the wrongers saved. And, and listen, you and I will stand on different sides, and we'll both point each other and say, wronger. Okay. How about instead we say, Jesus loves you. Okay. Because that's the truth. But we're going to be held accountable for the things we say and the things we do at some point. I'm not trying to get overly specific. In 1 John, this is what, Jesus, or what John says. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves... Imagine if I, if I... Let me just read this the way I'm trying to get you to understand it. Dear friends, let us serve one another, for service comes from God, and everybody who serves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not serve does not know God, because God is serving and giving and generous and compassionate. See, what if I read it that way so that you understand the word love from the way it was written 2,000 years ago? Do not tell me you love me if you did not buy my coffee. And don't bring me coffee from the gas station if you want to say you love me. That's not my love language. Okay? <laughs> Lord, I'm sorry. 
that was a cheap plug, and, and I confess it, and I'm cleansed of it, all unrighteousness right now, okay? Because God is love, and he loves me. Okay, so anyway, it says, this is how God has shown his serve, his compassion, his heart for us, and among us, he sent his only son in the world that we might live through him. And this is compassion and serving, not that we compassioned and serve God, but he compassions and serves us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Now listen to me, I love my wife, and I promise you I have affection for her as well. I do. But there's times when we bump heads, right? There's times when we fight. And so do we look at each other and say, do you love me? It's like, no, we don't. Because in the midst of that, it's, I'm not leaving. That's love. I'm going to stay here and we're going to work it out. That's love. I'm going to change my attitude. That's love. And I just tell you right now, it's usually me. I'm usually the problem. I know that's a surprise to a lot of you. But I am usually the problem, okay, in a circumstance. But, but love is staying in it and serving and compassionate and doing the things, and it's important. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Love is a verb. God so loved that he gave. Love equals serving. Second thing I want to share with you is it's not possible to escape God's desire to love and forgive you. This is, I'm driving in my car, cruising along, hoping that little Prius gets out of the way. Why do you buy a Prius for the economy and drive it at 85 miles an hour in the left lane? Aren't you kind of like defeating the economy of that car just a little tiny bit? I mean, I'm at that speed, I'm still getting 39 miles per gallon, believe it or not, and I can prove that. But I just need him to move over because he, that car was not designed for the left lane. Okay, it was designed for the far right one. Move over. Okay, but that being said, while I was driving around, I heard the Lord say, it's not possible to escape God's desire to love me. You understand that? Listen to all the words. It's not possible for you to escape God's desire to love you. You can reject his love. I'll get to that in a minute. But I just want you to stay on track with me. It is not possible for you to escape God's desire to love you. He is, and forgive you, and forgive you. He's not constrained by our understanding of time and space. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts thoughts. He knows, the scripture says, what's in a man before it ever comes out of a man. So we can trust him. Check this out. Paul tells Timothy, he says, if we're faithless, God, he remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself. See, because he is this. He is this. And he can't deny himself. You can deny yourself, but I can't deny myself. I mean, I can deny myself, but God can't deny himself. He is faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding people of this. I made a note while I was driving. Keep reminding people that God is faithful. He's not mad at you. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to shower his love on you. He may not be doing what you want when you want it, but it does not make him any less God. Paul says to the church in Rome, for I'm convinced that neither height nor depth 
uh, excuse me, that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither present nor future, nor any of powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of uh, creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't be separated from the love of God. Not at all. In the book of Matthew it says, but I'll tell you, every kind of sin and slander will be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That one will not be forgiven. And now listen to me. I'm not sharing that to make you worried. I'm just telling you right now that I strongly, I strongly believe that if you're coming to me going, oh, Pastor Joe, I think I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I don't think you did. Because I honestly believe if you were worried that you did, you didn't. Because I believe that when you get to the place in your soul that you're willing to blaspheme the Holy Spirit... You have seared yourself, and we can go into the book of Hebrews and talk about um, that sort of a thing, but you've apostatized yourself, and you've, you, you've, you've legitimately rejected God outright. Now, again, I, I don't want to go down that road. I just want to share with you this thought. God says there's nothing that he won't forgive you for. God wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive your attitude. He wants to forgive your sassy mouth. He wants to forgive your sarcasm. He wants to um, forgive your bullying. He wants to forgive you stealing. He wants to forgive you lying. God wants to forgive you, and you can't separate yourself from that. But we can choose to reject God's love. We can. That's why the writer of the book of Hebrews said, so don't throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. If you, could, if, if you can't separate yourself from the reward of God, he can tell you not to throw your, your confidence away. Man, you've got to wrestle with that scripture. And we look at that and it's like, wow, what's going on there? I will die with my free will intact. And that's kind of important. The last thing I want to share with you is this. There are things that do keep us from experiencing God's love. I don't think you can be separated from God's desire to, to love you and to forgive you. But I strongly do believe that there are things that keep us as human beings from experiencing the love of God. And, and that would be like, if I could say it this way, imagine yourself, you're out, and thank you, Jesus, for the rain. You're out in the rain. You can go out in the rain and experience the rain right? And you know the rain's coming. It's falling. It's all around you. You're getting soaking wet. Or you can grab something, put it up, and you can stand out in the rain and not experience the rain. You can see it. You know it's here, but you've chosen not to let it touch you. And I believe that, that you do have that power. Let me share with you what I'm think, talking about. If I'm separated from the love of God, and sometimes we are, and it's okay to get in the car and just drive 2,500 miles or more if you want to. I don't, I, I don't care. I want to limit you. But just go do the thing that gets you away from the world and makes the noise stop. Turn your phone off except for Spotify so you can listen to your you know, favorite traveling channel. And, and just do it. Your wife gave you and Just do that. Just do that. And be quiet. But stop the noise. Stop the TV. Stop the things. Okay? Because when I'm dry and lonely, the first person that I look at is Joe Wood. I look at me, and I look at my soul, and I look at what's going on in my life. I look at what I've done, what I've said, what I've been. And I believe that sin in our lives, unchecked, 
separates us from experiencing God's love. His love is still coming, but we've put up an umbrella. Because what happens? It's kind of like when you owe somebody money and you see them in the Kroger, right? And you're over here and you want some, some peas, some frozen peas, and you see them and you're like, oh, suddenly you're over here in the marshmallow line because you had to duck them because you owe them money and you don't want to deal with it. And you don't want to talk about it. And so what you do instead is you say, well, God wanted me to have marshmallows, clearly. It's a sign from God. Instead of knowing that God said, I want you to deal with this. And what is it with peas right now? My wife called me the other day when I was headed home from here for lunch. And she said, what would you like? And I said, honestly? She said, yeah. I said, macaroni and cheese. She said, really? I said, yes. I said, with peas and tuna fish. And she said, stop it. I will call down fire on your head right now. Okay, no, I'm kidding. I won't do that. I'm just saying, I wanted peas and tuna fish in it and stuff like that. And she said, well, we don't have very many peas, so if you want peas, you're going to have to get it. And I walked into to Walmart, and I went to the frozen peas section, and guess what? Nothing. There was not, one, not even a loose pea that got out of a bag on the floor. There was Brussels sprouts. What does that tell you, Walmart? Stop pushing Brussels sprouts on us. Put them over in the organic section where those people, you know who those people are, they eat Brussels sprouts. Put them over there and fill those shelves up with more peas. Because clearly we eat peas. We like peas. That being said, when we get to that place where we're feeling like there's sin in our life that goes unchecked, we tend to hide from God, just like Adam and Eve. And it separates us from receiving the blessing of God, the favor of God, the person of God. Not that we earn his, our salvation, but when we're walking in our salvation, we don't need to put up umbrellas that stop this love from falling on our shoulders. How about pride? Too, too proud to say I'm sorry. Too proud to say I'm wrong. Too proud to say, hey, I, I'm struggling this, too proud to ask for prayer, too proud to whatever it might be. But, but pride is a thing. Or, or let's go another way. We're so proud that you're not good enough to be in my presence. We're so proud that I'm way more holy than you and, and you have failed me as a human being because you didn't do what I experienced or expected and what I wanted. So you need to not be in my circle anymore. See, we start getting proud and we look down our nose at people. What about rebellion? Rebellion was a big one in uh, Israel's life in the Old Testament. It's like, you know, God said, I want you to do this. And you're like, I'm not doing that. I think the biggest thing killing the church in America today is this. Well, I feel, well, I think. Listen, I love you so much, honestly. But I really don't care what you feel or think. I care what the Bible says about what the Bible says and how am I going to change my life to do that. Now, Please come tell me what you feel or think. But if, man, if you're building a life and a theology on what you feel or think, I can tell you right now that the theology that I feel and think today is not the theology and, and, and that I was born again into. I have grown. I haven't given up anything. I haven't deconstructed anything. I haven't done anything like that. What I've done is grown from, from studying Scripture. And that's what's important. Sometimes our rebellion can do that. Sometimes it's our immorality. 
Sometimes our immorality, what we watch, what we listen to in our lifestyle, keeps us separated so that we don't experience. God still wants to love you, and he's trying to love you, and you can't stop him from trying, but you can reject it, and so you're not experiencing it because you're not going to do it God's way. And, and it's not a matter of how were you born, and it's not a matter of, of I talked to God, and he said it's okay for us to move in together. No, it's not. If he said it's wrong, it's wrong, period. And if you say, well, I'm going to do it anyway, then I'm telling you, you're not going to experience the love that you're hungry for because you're the one that put up the umbrella. God is up there going, please let me help you and show you that you can have more than this. And you're going, no. And then you say, God doesn't love me. See? What about greed? What about greed? No, no, no. We don't get to talk about other people's greed. We only get to talk about ours. So if something just went, ching, yeah, I know a guy. Hmm. Joe Wood stands in front of the mirror in his bathroom. Joe Wood doesn't stand in the church office and say, in, out, in, out. No, 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 no. See? That's an attitude of the heart. Greed is an attitude of heart. It's not always money. Okay? But I'm always checking myself on that. And here's the last one I just want to share with you today as we begin to wrap this thing up, okay? What about unforgiveness? Who are you holding at arm's length? Because you're not going to forgive them because you are mad as a hornet. And let me tell you something. You might be right. You might be unforgiving to a wronger. Remember we talked about what a wronger is. You might be holding them because they don't deserve it. They're not worthy. They don't understand what they did. They don't care. They're not. I, I don't deserve it either. It's how I came to God. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve the forgiveness he gives me. I don't deserve the love he gives me. I don't deserve the mercy he gives me. I don't deserve, I don't deserve any of that. But anytime I talk against sin, it's not because I'm trying to swing a ball bat. It's because I'm trying to say there's hope and there's healing and you can come away from it and there's forgiveness and you can experience a different life. That's all I'm trying to do. But I won't back down from what God said is and what God said isn't. I won't. I just won't. If I do, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to ask his forgiveness and readjust my position. In the book of Matthew chapter 5, the scripture says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at, there at the front of the altar, and then go and be reconciled, and then come back and offer your gift. That's a check for me. That's a check for me. Let that bother you a little bit, because it, it, it keeps us from experiencing the love of God that we want. I need to be more forgiving. First Peter said, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil, their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil, do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Yes, he wants to love them, but he's not going to let them move forward. He's going to do the things that he does to use them to see that his, his will and his, his uh, goals continue to be met. And even that I don't understand. I don't. Let me just say straight up so that you hear it. I believe that we are saved by grace and grace alone. Not by works so that nobody can boast. But hear me say this too. Grace that does not create a transformation is not grace and it's not God. It is just the camouflage of chameleons. Let me say that again for you. But the grace that does not create a transformation is not grace, 
and it's not God. It's just the camouflage of chameleons. You cannot interact with the Holy Spirit of God Almighty and not be changed. And the goal of Christianity is what were we singing? From glory to glory to glory. Always being changed. It's a journey that doesn't stop. What I believed 50 years ago about life, not about God, but about life and money and women and things like that has changed so dramatically. The things that I believed about, can I come to Jesus and just say, Jesus, I have some wants. Yeah, it's changed dramatically. God is not just interested in your bare bones needs to get by. It is not sinful for you to say, I want a little Debbie sugar oatmeal thing. And it's okay if he says no. But you're not an awful person for asking your Father in heaven if you can have a four-wheeler, if you can go on a trip, if you can have dinner, if he'll bring you a spouse. That's not wrong or greedy or deceitful. See, I'm not where I used to be. Our answer will always be Jesus. Our struggle will always be our desire for his timing to be our timing. Paul told the church in Ephesus, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Look past the person that you're struggling with to the power that's pushing the button. You and I are in a spiritual conflict. Romans says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You just got to understand that, that word belief, it means you sat your behind on the chair. Belief isn't what you academically acknowledge. It's what you build your life on and do. I won't go into that any deeper than that, but... Remember this, the demons believe and they're going to hell, Scripture says. So it has to be more than acknowledgement. And we've got to stop making it simply acknowledgement. Belief is what we build our life on. The way we treat people, the way we love people, the way we interact, and the way we, when we sin, we get back up. Second Corinthians says, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for everybody and therefore all of us have died and become somebody new. I added that last part. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. And that's what we need to get back to. Is that who we're living for? For him who died for them and was raised from the dead. Romans 12 says that if we're going to embrace Jesus, we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. 1 John says that if we confess with our mouth the sin in our lives, we will be forgiven from all unrighteousness. And Jesus tells us seven times, 70 times a day, or 70 times, 70 times a day, we're to forgive one another, depending on how you read that. And so I say that because I want you to know how many times God forgives you. You've got to stop beating yourself up. You've got to stop telling yourself you're not good enough, you're not holy enough, you're not righteous enough, that God would never favor you, he would never bless you, he would never look down and coddle you and wrap his arms around you, because the fact of the matter is, he will. I do believe that there are times when we need to look at why we're not receiving that. What have I done, God? And it's okay, like David, to say, listen, 
Give me the inspection. Take the x-ray. Look for the sickness. Tell me where it is. And then as it comes out, we begin to see colors instead of the dark grays that have closed us in. Repent. Turn from your sin. And live. God wants to forgive you, but more, God wants to give you a life that you haven't dreamed of. Listen, I promise you, if I did not believe that with all of my heart, I would not be chasing after God today. I would not be on this stage. If I did not believe those words, God wants to forgive you, and He also wants to do something incredible in your life, I would not waste my time standing up here and saying, I honestly wouldn't. I believe I have the capacity to make money. I just want you to know that when I get to heaven, God doesn't care about that. Am I using my life and my life's things for relationships that will last through eternity? What do you think is keeping you from experiencing the love of God today? A belief that God cares? You saw some Christians being naughty, and so you said, well, if that's what it is, I notice that when people spend counterfeit money, you don't stop spending money. Think about it for a second. You still believe in money. We're all broken, trying to chase God. How about a little more grace for one another, a little more love for sinners, and let's try to make a difference. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you right now. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this message. I thank you for the reminder as I was driving. I thank you that this is just one of the things that you said to me. I thank you for bringing me back home. I thank you for the conviction as well as the comfort and the encouragement. I thank you for the exercises that you've given me to do. I thank you for the work that you've said get back to. I thank you for the affirmation, God. Somebody walk into my office and saying the exact same thing I wrote down in my book. Stay the course. Be courageous. There's more of Richmond that needs to be saved. Get to work. As we gather together, God, there are people in here that have been listening to the wrong voice. On the one hand, they think that you don't care, and where can they go to the deepest depth, the highest height, to find you? And on the other hand, they think they've sinned too much, so where can they go to the highest height and the deepest depth to hide from you? And you're just trying to say... I'm waiting for you to come back. Let's start again. Get back up. Don't stay down. Don't stay away from me. But God, we want to meet you. So we say, come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we say, come Holy Spirit. Break out amongst us in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first service, one of the prayer team members walked up and gave me a word. It says redemption. And I believe that there is somebody in here. I believe that 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 redemption applies to your finances. I believe that that redemption um, belongs to somebody's relationships in here this morning. I believe that there's somebody in here that needs a a relationship redeemed. Not not just forgiven, redeemed. I believe that your finances need to be redeemed. I believe that there's somebody in here whose soul has not been given to Jesus yet and you need to let God redeem it. And this is your morning for that. We're going to go into this song right now. And these people are up here and they want to pray for you. Beyond that, if there is something else going on in your life that you want to give to God, see from God, whatever it is, come up here and let them, let you lay hold of the hem of his garment.
saying that there is not or we're not done with the work that he's doing in Richmond there's more to do there's more to do we all know that but he just needed to say it out loud to me here's the crazy part you know who he's going to do it through (laughs) us not me us you know somebody that's not going to church they're waiting on your invitation guys you know a man that might come to the men's event if you just invite him And even pay for it if you have to. If not, come talk to me. But you know somebody. 
And it's time for us to begin to say, it's not about gathering together on Sunday morning. We do that for our shot in the arm, for filling up our heart. It's for us to go outside so that we can make a difference out there in other people's lives. And that's what we're after. Changing our communities, changing our circumstances, changing our relationships to Jesus. And I want to encourage you to go and do that. Wild week, men's event, opportunities. God bless you and go in peace. Woo!